So we're dealing with a text that is um, exactly where in Jesus' life we are in the book of Luke, but this story is only told in the book of John. Uh, I wanted us to look at this because um, as we look at the, this time of Jesus' life, this is one of another one of my absolute favorite stories. And so what we have is Jesus saying uh, to, uh, well, first it says when they finished breakfast. And so there's some of the story that's kind of left out in this text that we have to go over to understand what's going on. Now, remember that Peter had seen Jesus right after the resurrection, uh, but then Jesus, who had been with them every waking moment for the last three years, isn't around. And remember the last time we really looked deeply into what had happened with Peter? Peter had gone from I will be with you, Lord, no matter what happens, even if it means that I die. I'm going to be with you. And then he's in the garden, and he lops off one of the soldier's ears. Now, I can promise you, he wasn't aiming for an ear. And so, Peter's willing or showing that he's going to back up his words with action. And Jesus says to Peter, enough of that. And then we see Peter being sifted by Satan. And three times, Peter denies Jesus. I can't imagine the, uh, what Peter must have felt like when that third time, as he's warming himself by the fire, and the little girl goes, hey, you got a redneck accent it's like they do. You're from Galilee. And Peter cusses this little girl out and says, I don't know him. I don't know who, what you're talking about. Shut your mouth. And the moment that he denied Jesus for the third time, he looked up and across that courtyard, Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. And he hears that rooster crow. And he knows, I have failed. That's the last time Peter's really involved. We see Peter running around the grave. We see a very brief interaction. But now Peter feels like he's blown it. And the text says, just before this text, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, when I read that, that sounds to me like, I I've been there, right? You, you got some things planned on Saturday that you're supposed to do. Nothing works out right. You're going to dig a hole. You walk out. You try to do the first scoop and the handle breaks off. You got this to do. And, it fall and finally, at some point, you just get frustrated and you go, hey, you know what? I'm going fishing. It would be easy to kind of get that out of this text, but that's not what's going on. Remember that before Jesus had, had called Peter to follow him, Peter was a fisherman. That was his vocation. That's what he did. Peter had followed Jesus for three years, and Peter thinks he blo has blown it. He's just going back to what he knew. He's returning to his, the, what he did before Jesus. He's like, I blew it. And so off he goes. So with him is Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Deb Zebedee, which is uh, James and John, and then two other disciples. And so we can kind of gather that this is the boys from Galilee. These are the fishermen guys. Because we know that James and John were fishermen. And so there they all are. They're, they've returned to what they did before. They don't know what Jesus is about. We have brief interactions where Jesus shows up. We have the story that the other disciples have come back and said, hey, we talked with him on the way. But they don't know what their future looks like. And so they just go, you know what? 
Let's go back to what we did before. So they go out. They're fishing through the night, which was very common, and they hadn't caught anything. Now, Jesus is standing on shore. And like when he, we, the text that we saw last week with him walking with those two disciples, the disciples didn't recognize him. Now, we don't know if it's like what happened with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, whether or not it was that Jesus was in another form. They're, the text later tells us they're about 100 yards from the shore. So it could have been that just their, their football field away from Jesus and they didn't recognize who it was. I, I mean, 100 yards, I'm about as blind now to where I can barely tell that it's a human being 100 yards away. I'm like, that's either a human being or a small pony. I don't know which. we got to get closer to see. But it, the text says they didn't recognize that it was Jesus, and so Jesus is standing on the shore, and they did, didn't recognize him. Jesus yells, hey, you caught anything? Which, again, one of the reasons why I love this story is it is so human. Because I guarantee you, if you're walking along the bridge and Gulf Shores and there's a bunch of people fishing, somebody's going to say, so you catch anything? That is just the most common question. When you see somebody casting or you see somebody fishing, the first thing you're going to say is, what you caught? What you got? Well, they hadn't caught anything. And so Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. Now, this should sound really familiar. Jesus had already gone through this exact same scenario in Luke chapter 5. This is how he called them. And so when Jesus said, cast on the other side, and they did, and immediately the net was so full that they couldn't haul it in, John goes, it's Jesus. They knew who it was. Now, that what unfolds here is really funny. How many, many here, toot your horns or wave if you've ever seen Forrest Gump? All right. So remember the scene in Forrest Gump when he sees Lieutenant Dan and he just jumps in the water. That's exactly what happens here. They're on the boat. Jesus yells from the shore, hey, what you catch? Nothing. Put it on the other side. They put it on the other side. It's full. John goes, Hey, I've been here before. Deja vu all over again. That's Jesus. Peter doesn't hesitate. He jumps in the water. He throws it. He, he was fishing in his underwear, so he throws the outer clothes on, jumps in the water, and swims the hundred yards to shore. John and the rest of the disciples are excited as well, but they take the boat. They're, they're smart enough to go, all right, we're going in the boat. Peter gets up to the shore and Jesus has already built a fire and already cooked some bread and already cooked some fish. Which tells me that this isn't a chance encounter. If you think about it, it took time for Jesus to go get some wood, to dig a fire pit, to put the wood in the fire pit and start the fire. Maybe he bought, bought the flour and the oil and the stuff that was needed to make the bread. I'm sure it was that flat bread that's so common in that part of the world. And he sat there and watched them fish while he's making the bread. Jesus knew what interaction he was going to have. This is not a chance encounter. This is not an accidental thing. So when they come up, and it's Peter, James, and John... Thomas, Nathaniel, and the poor two guys who don't get their names in, Jesus says, hey, y'all need to get some more fish because I've only cooked 
for one or two folks. And so Peter goes, helps them get the, get, get the fish out. John tells us there's 153 fish. Now, if this wasn't in the Bible, I would doubt that. Because if you ever ask a man how, what, how many fish you caught, that number always grows with time, and the size of the fish always grows in time. I mean, I joke with David Holmes that he can't drive over the East Gadsden Bridge with about three fish jumping in the back of his truck. Because he's never gone out on a boat that I said, how many fish you catch? He didn't tell me cooler full. And so, but this is in the Bible, so we can trust the story that it was 153. So now we get to, after breakfast, Jesus said, after they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter. This is a personal interaction with Peter. Remember, the last time they had interacted is when Jesus looked across that courtyard after Peter had denied him for a third time. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Barjona, Simon, son of John. Now, when's the last time Jesus has called him this? This brings back the full impact of what Peter has done. Because the last time that Jesus called Simon, Simon, son of John, was in Matthew 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter is standing there with the other disciples, and Jesus says, who does everybody say that I am? And they list off a bunch of stuff, and Jesus says, more importantly, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now Peter took from that in, that he was going to be involved in the work of the church, that he was going to be involved in planting the church of Jesus. And so Jesus saying, Simon, son of John, just once again prove to Peter, I've blown it. I was in a position that Jesus was going to use me to build His church, and I blew it. I didn't have the guts to admit that I knew who Jesus was. Surely He's not going to use me now. In fact, Jesus hammers that nail even harder in and says, Do you love me? Now, when Jesus asked, Do you love me? Jesus uses the Greek word agape, or agape is the way we often say it in English, which is sacrificial, selfless love. Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I, I love you. And Peter uses the term phileo, is the Greek word that he uses, which means brotherly love. Two brothers who love each other. Now those words are almost interchangeable, but clearly Peter is lowering the bar because he's, he knows he's failed Jesus. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now, I remember when we owned the farm in Coleman that I, when Emily was little, I would give her jobs to do. And I would, you know, if she said, I don't feel like taking corn out to the, I would say, hey, you got a cowgirl up, let's go. And make her get her little three-gallon bucket of corn, and we would walk out to the field to feed the critters. And I would make her in charge of, all, of babies, right? So Jesus saying, feed my lambs, is telling Peter, you're going to have some responsibility. 
Peter probably took this as, ah, I don't know. And before that happened, there was a part that I want, want to address as well. G, Peter, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, there are three different ways that that could be interpreted. One, he could be asking Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? He could be asking, do you love me more than you love these fellas here? You're Peter, James, and John. I mean, James and John, Nathaniel, Tom. Do you love me more than you love them? But I think what he was saying, do you love me more than these, the boats and the fish and the camaraderie that you get from your friends as you're out on the boat? Which do you love more? What you feel comfortable with or me? Jesus asked the second time, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he uses phileo. Jesus says agape. Peter responds phileo. Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Now this here is not just talking about feeding. This is protecting, shepherding. Jesus is saying in this one, I want you to be a part of my sheep being cared for. And Peter took this to heart. As he talks about Jesus in 1 Peter, he refers to Jesus as the great shepherd. And at the end of 1 Peter, he ends it with, those of you who are shepherding the flock, shepherd the flock among you. So Peter understood what Jesus was talking about. This is a command to pastor and shepherd his people. The third time Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? The third time he asked him, Jesus dropped the bar down with Peter. Do you really, phileo, love me? Do you, is there brotherly love there? And G Peter says, Jesus, you know everything. You know my heart. You know I love you. And as I read that, that breaks my heart because I've been Peter right here. I have failed I have embarrassed my Savior. Usually for me, it involves me running my mouth somewhere and saying something I shouldn't have said. And in my prayer, I'm like, Jesus, you know my heart. You know that I didn't want to do that. You know that I didn't mean to do that. Oh God, please forgive me. You can feel Peter's pain. Now, what Jesus says, if we don't keep it in context, is cruel. Jesus says, Peter, when you were young, whenever you were young, you wore whatever you wanted to wear. You, you went wherever you wanted to go. But someday when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Again, we read that out of context and that seems cruel. How many of us here would want the king of the universe to look at us and say, hey, by the way, when you're an old man, somebody's going to dress you up the way you want, don't want to be. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. And the phrase, stretch your arms, there is no interpretation other, with that other than you're going to be crucified. But that is a mercy. 
That is a beautiful thing that Jesus is saying to Peter. Because Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus let Peter three times say, I'm back. God, please forgive me. I love you. I want to be used for you. The command that Jesus gave Peter in Matthew 16, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus restores him and sets him back. But Peter had to have in his mind gone, am I just going to fail again? Am I just going to mess this up again? Am I just going to make mistake after mistake after mistake? And Jesus, by saying, you do whatever you want to do now that you're young. You wear whatever you want to wear. But one day, when you're old, you will be carried and dressed in a way that you don't want to be dressed. That you will be crucified. Is telling Peter that you will be faithful to the end. Not now you know, Peter. It's not because of anything in you. But it's because of what I do in you. Now think about this. When Jesus is standing beside Peter, Peter's the man. When Peter's in the garden and Jesus is there, he draws that sword and he's ready to go. He's looking at a half of a century. At least 500 people coming against Jesus. And Peter's like, y'all want to dance? Let's dance. When Jesus is with him, he's the man. When Peter's by himself, a little girl intimidates him. Now we're going to see soon after this, just a few days after this, that Peter will stand in front of all those same people who condemned Jesus to death, and he will preach the gospel. And thousands will get saved. And then they're going to take Peter in front of the rulers. We're going to go through the book of Acts and see this. And they take Peter and they whoop him and they say, look, you can do what you want to do. But when you're preaching, you don't talk about Jesus and you don't talk about the resurrection. Peter looks at those same men, those same men that crucified Jesus. So he knows they're serious. Peter was just as bold as when Jesus was standing beside him when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Because he looked at them and said, this Jesus that you crucified and God raised from the dead is coming back. So when God, was, Jesus was with him in the flesh and when the Holy Spirit was on Peter, Peter knew that he could stand. But on his own, he was weak and frail and worthless. Now there's a couple of things that we can take from this today. I hope if you've learned anything from my preaching, you have learned that God has made you the person that, you're are, that you are today. He's gifted you, and He has allowed you to have the experiences that you have for one reason, and that is so that you can build up the church of Jesus Christ. You have the gifts that you have so that you can be used in the church. And yet there's some of you, and there's sometimes when your pastor feels like, I've blown it. Father, I have once again failed you. And this text shows us that if we repent and we turn back, that Jesus will restore you. And not only can he forgive you, he can put you back to work. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to sin. 
David was forgiven, and yet there were lots of consequences in the whole book of 2 Samuel of his sin. But what I'm saying is, is that God can use you mightily if you'll let him. And the second big thing that I see from this text is you can't be used by the Lord. You can't be the person God has called you to be unless you are being filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. If you're trying to do it on your own and you're not being in this Word, you're not being in prayer, you're not being around God's people, you're not giving of yourself, if you're doing it on your own, you're going to fail every time. So I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I run to this text often. And so I hope that it's edified you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for just the beautiful day that you gave us. Lord, I thank you for the miracles that we've seen this year. Lord, I thank you for the hopeless situations that you've brought hope to. Lord, I thank you that a year ago, right now, we were first coming out here and we didn't know what that year held. And you have been faithful. You have been true through the whole thing. Lord, I thank you for the good time that we can have today. Lord, I pray for comfort for those that this year have lost someone. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill those homes and that you would be our helper. Lord, I pray that you would be with us the rest of the day. I pray that you would help us to have a great time as we, we grill some dogs and we, we, we play and have some fun. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. And Lord, we pray for your peace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Go serve your king.